0: Mountain, how we doing? We good? Yeah, a big welcome to you. My name is Jared, I'm one of the pastors here. Let's give a big shout out and welcome to everyone watching online, every campus, Abedin and Aberdeen, Edgewood here at Mountain Road. Uh, it is good to be together. I got some bad news to start with. I hate to break it to you. Uh, the school year is about to start. Summer is almost over. Boo. I know, I know. And I, I, I do hope for you that uh, this past season has offered some kind of rest and relaxation. Uh, I know as the school year gets ready to start, I've got a sixth grader who just did orientation and I'm a little bit terrified by it. Okay. I'm not sure if he's excited yet or not. My, my daughter, she is thrilled. She can't wait to go back to school. And we kind of tried to make the most of the summer. Uh, we, we didn't do the big family vacation. We go on this really long trip. We did a bunch of mini trips, uh, decided to kind of change our rhythm there a little bit. We still up having a lot of fun, but I do know uh, that for a lot of us, we were able to go on some kind of trip and summer break and family vacation, but for others, uh, maybe this was a really hard summer and a summer that required a whole lot of work. I don't know where you fall in those categories, but I do hope in some way that you're able to see the goodness of God in this last season. I know for my family, we kind of found ourselves right in between those two categories. It was a very busy, a uh, lot of work, a lot going on. But we were also to sneak away for some of those small trips. Went to Kentucky. I uh, Went to the beach a couple of times. There's actually a picture that's going to pop up here of my kids. We ended up hanging out uh, at one of our friend's condos in Ocean City. It just kind of overlooked the water, this really beautiful spot. The weather was perfect. Like there was a breeze the whole time, boats coming in and out, birds coming down and just kind of playing in the water there. This is a really beautiful setting. We made the most of it. We had a good time together. I got to be honest with you, okay, we ate like crazy, we played like crazy, we got in some putt-putt, we went to the beach, we kind of did all of the things, right? In this picture, uh, it was taken right at the end of our time together on that trip, and, and afterwards, my, my daughter, Ella, right here, she kind of turns around leans back in her chair and looks out over the water, and she's, ah, this is the good life, you know? Like, have you ever said that in a moment that's just really good? Like, everything around you is, is really good in that moment, and your response to that is like ah, this is the good life. And we all know probably what Ella meant by that, right? Like in her innocence, what she meant was, this is an awesome moment where the distractions of the rest of the world are gone. She's able to relax, put her feet up, chill a little bit, a moment for her to remove herself from the burdens of everyday life, just to rest and retreat. And at its essence, The good life to her was about how that moment made her feel. Maybe it was a little bit greedy, maybe it was a little bit self-serving, but I, I can't blame her for that, okay? Our culture has taught, and honestly, I, I've probably taught her in a lot of ways that our lives are a little bit compartmentalized in that way, that there are moments that are good and there are moments that are not. There are moments where we live the good life and moments where life is not good. We probably all experience that and we see it in different ways. If I asked you what the good life looked like, what might you say? Well, you might say hey, it's when I get to do what I want, I get to sit on the beach, I get to sit in a chair, soak up the race, sit on my like Capri Sun, listen to music, maybe it's retirement, whatever it might be for you, we all have a definition immediately that stems out of our selfish desires of what the good life looks like. It's normal and it's natural because what we tend to do in this world is compartmentalize ourselves into different aspects of life, little mini-lifes kind of woven all throughout our one life. I mean, think about it. We've got our work life, our school life, our our life with relationships, with sports, with families, with hobbies, and for some, and a lot of us here today, we've got our church life. We call it our spiritual life. Have you ever had anybody ask you, like, how's your spiritual life going? Right? And you respond to that, like, God's doing something in my life right now, whatever it might be, because what we tend to do is differentiate and place into two different categories, the secular from the sacred. It's the way that everyday life tends to function. You get up in the morning after a good night's rest, which is good. You should do that. You should sleep well. And then you get up and you go to work and you put in, uh, you know, a good eight hours or maybe you go to school and you put in a good eight hours and then you got that long commute home. And after that long commute home, I don't know, maybe you go get coffee with a friend. Then you do dinner with the family and then you watch Kentucky win the big game, whatever it might look like for you. And when all the other things in your life and your day are done, what do you do then? Will you binge Netflix because season four of your favorite show just came out, right? For me, that would be Stranger Things. For my wife, it's a show called Virgin River, which I do not recommend, it is so boring, okay? And sometimes, sometimes the aspects of your spiritual life will start to reveal themselves. Whether it's reading the scripture or prayer or worship, what we tend to do is we make worship into a bucket. It's one of the aspects of our life. We compartmentalize our lives into a bunch of little mini lives that sometimes have connection but rarely intersect. I do work, I do school, I do this, I do that, then I move on to the next aspect. And because of that, what we see is there's this massive disconnect between our spiritual life and life. They're disconnected. They're fragmented. And we talk about the good life. We're not just talking about the vacation or luxury sitting on the dock of the bay. No, we're talking about seamlessly integrating life where the difference between spiritual and secular can't be seen, it's gone. They're so melded together that you can't see the difference between the two. We're talking about a life that's fully immersed with Jesus and his kingdom and all of our many lives start to disappear. And the only thing we can see is the good life. In every aspect of humanity, whether hard work or vacation. I read this book recently by this guy, his name's uh, John Mark Comer. And he he talked in that book about how, if you would have asked Jesus how his spiritual life was going, well, he would have looked at you like you had two heads. All right, he would have said, what do you mean by spiritual life? Do you just mean life? As a matter of fact, most of the people who we look at in the Bible that we would consider the heroes of our faith, they would not differentiate those two two parts of our life. Uh, In in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, there was no word for spiritual life. There was just life and spirituality was interwoven through all of it. Yet in our modern day, we tend to compartmentalize it all out. And the consequence of walking with Jesus is that there is no longer these broken up little lives, but instead you have this one seamless, holistic thread of God's love. That's like some beautiful disease that permeates each and every aspect of your being and your body, making its way through every aspect of your life, including the most difficult and the most beautiful. So that's the beauty of the good life as we see the presence and love of God and whatever compartments you have. So what does the good life look like? Well, my, my Ella was right. Okay, it is the moments of relaxation. We're just filled with goodness. But it's not just vacation, it's not just the weekend. No, the good life is all of life. It's the hard working parts of life. It's the laughing around the table with family parts of life. It's the crying with friends who are hurting parts of life. It's the really difficult to understand and comprehend parts of life. It's the failed school project and the big win. It's the moments of sickness and despair and the moments of success and celebration. All of it is the good life if we draw close to Jesus and fully understand how his presence transforms the way we view our life. And so through this series, we've been talking about some words found by Jesus that really encapsulate the mission of this church. These are words that are close to the heart of mountain because they're words that were on the heart of Jesus the words that show us what it looks like to live the good life. Jesus repeatedly affirms that the response to the most important aspects of this life, the best way to live this life is to make as much money as you can and live in vacation and retirement forever and do whatever you want, right? No, that's where you say No. No, that is not correct, okay? It was exactly the opposite of that. When Jesus is challenged and what are the most important aspects of this life, here is how he responds each and every single time. We read it in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, love God. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself at the core of this life if it's gonna be lived in a way that maximizes every breath we have to give, every ounce of our being, then at the core, it has to be a deep desire to love God. And through that desire, God will give us the desire to love others. We say it this way around here. We say, love God, love God. And by love God, we mean, hey, Abide alone and worship together. Have space where it's just you and Jesus and you're soaking in all that he has for you and worship together in a venue or setting just like this one, wherever it is you're participating from. It's so important to be together and worship. So we say love God, we say love people. Love people means that we are going to have some people around us who are going to hold on to us and care about us and help us to be edified in our walk. We're going to know the good stuff going on in life and the really, really hard stuff going on in life. And we're going to reach out to those people who are far away from Jesus and bring them into the family. And if you've missed the first two weeks and you call Mountain Home, you've got to go back and catch up because this is the heartbeat of who we are. But this week, we're going to talk about what it looks like to serve the world. And I already know what a lot of us are thinking, okay? I know how this works. Like, Jared, I don't even need this sermon. Come on, man. Like I serve, are you kidding me? I serve in Mountain Kids. Or, you know, I go to the epicenter and I help with the health fair and food giveaway. Or guess what? I'm a greeter every third week. I show up at student ministry on Wednesday night, whatever. I don't even need this. Can I just leave? Can we call this good? Can we be done? Because what we tend to do is say, here is my serving bucket, and I have filled it. It is done. My job is complete. Now I can move on with the rest of my life. But when you come face to face with Jesus, well, he challenges that very notion. We're gonna look at Luke chapter 10 here in just a moment. It's this this opportunity for us to zoom out a little bit further and to talk about what it looks like to serve the world with our life, like all of it. See, Jesus, he's having this conversation with a lawyer. And the lawyer, like, the lawyer knows the law. He knows what's up. He knows what the right answers are. And he says to Jesus, kind of trying to trick him, he says to him, like, hey, Jesus, what's the most important thing in this world? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds with what we all know. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. But then the lawyer gets this bright idea. Okay, let me, let me take this a little bit further. Jesus actually asks the lawyer, like, what do you think the commandment is? The lawyer responds and says, yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? It's probably a question we start to ask, well, all right, so who counts? If we're going to love other people, who really counts? And what the lawyer is doing is he's trying to trick Jesus into saying, "Now I get it, but, but I want to keep my span of care small, okay? In the Greek, the word neighbor would have meant those who are close to you. And so he's saying like, I want to keep my span of care small. So yeah, the people at work I will care about and, and maybe my family, but not the barista at Starbucks who keeps screwing up my order. Like not her, Jesus, you're not talking about her, are you? Or the guy down the street who doesn't take care of his lawn. And there's like all those weeds coming up through the cracks and he's bringing down everybody's property values. Like Jesus, you're not talking about that guy, are you? I don't even know him. Or what about the guy at work who keeps screwing everything up and making more work for the rest of us, Jesus? You're not talking about that guy too, are you? What about the kid at school who sits over there by himself? Doesn't really talk to anybody. Like, I, I don't know, you're not talking about that kid, are you? Jesus? You're not talking about Steelers fans, are you, Jesus? (laughs) There's no way. See, this guy is trying to minimize his investments. He's trying to trick Jesus into allowing him to care about some of the buckets, compartments, many lives that he has. And so Jesus responds responds in this moment and redefines what he means by neighbor and puts on display the most beautiful of ways of what it looks like to live in a way that loves God, loves people and serves the world. We're gonna look at that story together. I hope it inspires you. Cause Jesus meant something really powerful through this. And here's what he says in Luke chapter 10, he says, a man, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. A little context here, okay. This would have been about an 18 mile journey. It wouldn't have been an easy journey necessarily. Along the way, there would have been a lot of rocks and boulders that people could hide out in. You want to start in the morning so you can get there by sundown. This guy takes off from Jerusalem to Jericho when he's attacked by robbers. It says, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Picture this scene. Let the gravity of it sink in. This guy is going about his business, trying to get from point A to point B. And along the way, some guys say, you got something we want and we're going to take it. They strip his clothes. They take everything they have. They beat him into an inch of his life. They leave him on the ground, bloody and bruised and laying in a pile of his own blood. And they take off. This guy's in a real bad spot. He's in real bad shape and he needs help. And Jesus continues and he says this, a priest happened to be going down the same road. Now you think, okay, a priest, like a priest should be pretty well versed in the law of God and the ways that God is a loving God. And I can't pretend to know what was going on in the priest's life, but here's what it says. He was going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. I don't want to put too many words in the priest's mouth, but maybe he had somewhere to be, okay? Maybe he was in a hurry. Maybe he was off the clock in that moment. But what I do know is that his response, the man who's sitting there bruised and beaten and laying in a pile of his own blood, it is not one that reflects or demonstrates or defines very clearly what the love of God looks like. And the scripture says that a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, another person who would have known the law of God passes by him on the other side. They see someone who needs help. Sure, it would have been inconvenience. Would have taken time. And not only do they pass by, they move far away. And then the most unlikely of heroes show up. This man's called a Samaritan. Samaritans uh, in this era, in in biblical days, they would have been seen as the low class, as the outcasts. Like Jews would not have associated with a Samaritan. Yet the Samaritan of all people comes walking down this road and he sees the man and he leans in and here's his response. But a Samaritan, as he traveled down that road, came where the man was, and when he saw him, remember the other two saw him and they ran away. But when the Samaritan sees him, he took pity on him and he went to him. The others went away, he drew close. It says that he went to him and he bandaged his wounds and he poured on oil and wine. Think of the beauty of that statement. Who knows how busy the Samaritan was, where he had to be, and what a major inconvenience this would have been for him. And not only does he see the man, he isn't it calling for help. Like somebody should help this guy. Now he's drawn close to him. And he takes the resources that he has, whatever they may be and starts to bandage him and pour oil and wine over his sores and his bruises. And he starts to bring him back to life. And the passage continues and Jesus continues to drive home the point by saying this, then he put the man on his own donkey. And I, I don't know, I, I think about in modern day times, like if I saw a guy bloody and bruised, would I put him in my own car? Like that's, that's gonna make a mess of something, right? Like, like that's some of the first selfish thoughts that I start to have. But this man does not hesitate. He sees him, he bandages him, he puts him on his own docky, he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. He could have taken him to the inn, dropped him off at the innkeeper and said, somebody needs to take care of this guy, he's not in good shape. But the scripture says he took care of him. And he took care of him to the place where he was there the next day, meeting this guy, he's making, making sure he made it through the night. And the next day he took to A Denari. Denarii would have been like one day's worth of wages. So now not only has he used his bandages, his oil, his wine, his donkey, now he's taking his money, two days worth, which feels like a lot. I don't know about you, but that feels like a lot of money to me. And he gave it to the innkeeper and he said, look after him and don't miss what happens next because I think sometimes we skip over this and it's so important. He said, and when I return, he could be done. He's done more than enough. He did more than the priest, more than the Levite. He could be done and free and ready to go. But he says, when I return, I will reimburse you. I will be more invested here than I have been to this point for any extra expense that you may have. Man, the Samaritan is putting on display what it looks like to live the good life. We learned something important in this passage of the good life isn't a life of luxury or getting what I want. It's not greed. It's not selfishness, it's selflessness, it's surrender, it's sacrifice, it's to live like Jesus lived, no matter what the cost might be. Did the guy who was beaten and bruised, did he, did he deserve this kind of love from this marriage? Like, what did he do to deserve it? Absolutely nothing. Jesus is putting on display for us that what does it look like to live look the good life? It means to love God. It starts there. It starts with saying we're going to accept the love of God into our lives. And that is going to radically transform us. As the love of God swirls into our lives, we're gonna realize that we were the man left beaten and bruised in a pile of our own blood, like laying in a pile of our sin, not knowing what we're going to do. And Jesus says, I'm gonna come and whatever cost, I'm gonna get you out of there. I'm gonna heal you. I'm gonna love you. And we get this glimpse of his love and his grace and his kindness and his mercy through this story. We talk about what it, lives, what it looks like to live the good life. It has to start by accepting the love of God into your life maybe through the series, maybe today, right now, you're finding yourself saying like, I want someone to love me the way that the Samaritan loved the man who was beaten and bruised. The love of God surpasses that by a mile. Maybe today is the day you need to lean into that and say, God, I want you in my life. I want to experience that kind of love. I wanna experience that kind of healing. I wanna experience the God who's gonna care for me and love me right where I am, naked and bruised and beaten and laying in a pile of my own sin. Take a step towards him today, friends. Say yes to that. At all of our campuses this week, after our 11 o'clock service, we're gonna have a baptism splash. And I would invite you to say, hey, if you're accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior and accepting that kind of love into your life, then make the declaration of faith that is baptism. Join us in the water and let's celebrate what God is doing in you and through you. Join us at the splash. But realize And recognize that if you lean into Jesus like that, if you accept him as Lord and Savior, then all of your life's priorities are going to start to shift. And your belief is very quickly going to move towards behavior. Because when Jesus has entered your life, you can't help but live for him and like him. A journey with Jesus really embraces his teaching and lordship and will lead you to a life of serving the world. Do you know the early church leaders? Like if you look at the book of Acts, they were called Christians and that word was used kind of as a way to slander them. Like, oh, those Christians over there. Like, oh, those guys? You mean the Christians? You know, when I think about the word Christian today, sometimes it's used in the same way but for different reasons. Like the word Christian today, sometimes it's used as slander because, well, Christians make other people feel judged. Or maybe Christians are known to manipulate scripture to get what they want. Or Christians, they hitch themselves to a political stance or they're so straight edge that they won't associate with anyone who's not like them. And what ends up happening is our belief is not moving towards behavior. Because if it was, then we wouldn't have that kind of bad rap and we wouldn't be giving Jesus a bad rap. But when you look at the early church and the accusation of Christian that was thrust upon them, it was because of their radical love for God and devotion to others, and that was it. They had this desire to serve the world no matter what the cost. And people were noticing and they were blown away by it and were just freaking out the government because the way of being a Christ follower was removing the focus off of earthly kings and instead giving attention to the most generous, gracious, loving king of all the universe. The devotion to loving others was so overwhelming that everyone noticed and those who didn't like it would be like, oh, those darn Christians are at it. Let's be accused of being a Christian because our belief in Jesus has led us to behave in such a way that our entire life is lived through the lens of serving others. When we fully grasp the love of Jesus, it emboldens us to recognize that God has a plan for you, but his plan is not just for you. It's also for what he will do for others through you. The story of the Good Samaritan, this isn't an aspect of life. Jesus is saying this is supposed to be every aspect of your life. It's not a box you check. No, a life of serving others is the paper in which the list is written on. So that every aspect of our life is seen through the desire of serving the people around us. Serving others is not a response to God. It's the result of God's love in us. And that's what Jesus lived like. And Jesus said it himself, he said, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all for even the son of man did not come to serve, but to to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, king of the universe says, hey, I I didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give of myself to anyone and everyone I came in contact with and Jesus did not come up short. Over and over again, Jesus proved that to be true, even in the place of washing the feet of the very one who would betray him and then going to a cross. For those of us who don't deserve his love, the perfect man died a perfect death so that all of us imperfect people could be made perfect in his eyes. Like that's what it looks like to serve someone else, to to love them at no matter what the cost may be. And it integrates into every single aspect of our life. Don't miss this, Jesus' life. One life, singular, was given for the good of others, for serving the world. And it stood out in a way that everyone who saw it wanted a glimpse of it, they wanted a piece of it, they wanted to get close to Jesus. And guess what? Jesus leaned in. In Matthew 5, Jesus tells us, like he's given the rundown on what it looks like to be people who live for God. It it makes us bold, it makes us salt and light, a city on a hill he says this, in the same way, let your light shine before men. They may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. This is what life is about. And through that, there's going to be some aspects where you go on a vacation, and it's going to be good. But even in that place, we look for a way to serve others. And there will be a time when life is hard and it's difficult. And even in that place, we see life through the lens of an opportunity to serve the world. Our belief in Jesus is key, but that belief, it leads to behavior. And that's when we too shine bright. It's at that point that our life becomes a commercial for Jesus and his ways in your job, even if you don't like it, do it to the best of your ability. So if people see someone who works hard in the name of Jesus and find ways in that place to serve those around you. In your school, maybe you don't like school, maybe you do, but leverage your school, look at schooling as a lens by which you can serve the people around you in your neighborhood, in your friendships, in your family, in your church. Y'all there's two places in this world where the hospitality of Christ should be at its finest. And that is in your house and in the house of the Lord, because those are the two places where we have the most opportunity to reach people and introduce them to the God who's gonna stop on the road and see the one who is beaten and bruised and left for dead and love them and care about them. So allow the hospitality of Christ, the servanthood of who Jesus is to swell in you and to overtake you and to permeate every aspect of your life. And that includes what we do here at this place, in this church, each and every single week. The mission of Mountain should be a light on a hill, an outpost in which people can't help but say, oh, those are those people who are Christians. They keep serving us and caring about us. I want to invite you into I, I can't help you to create a list of the ways that you can serve in every aspect of your life. I don't know your life but I can't help you know how you can serve as a part of God's church and make a difference so that anyone who participates in any ministry of mountain, whether they're close to God or far from God, experiences fullness, the beautiful hospitality of God. And I hesitate to even go here because I know what happens is we get a sheet of paper in our hand and we say, "Whoop, I'm checking the box, there we go. I'm putting it in that bucket and that becomes the thing, but we're not gonna let that happen. But maybe this will be a motivation for you to see your life through the lens of serving others. When you came into one of our campuses today, you received a piece of paper. I'd invite you to hold on to that now. That piece of paper, it talks about just some ways in which you can give of yourself and serve the world through the mission and ministries of Mountain from pushing the buttons that make this thing work, okay? To, to holding a baby, to teaching kids about Jesus, to leading a small group, taking photos so that people online can see what's happening here. There's lots of ways to get plugged in and serve as a part of this community. And I want to invite you to take that card and take it seriously. And if you're not serving in some way, let that be a step. It's not the destination, but let it be a step. And allow God in this moment to pull you in to some kind of self-sacrifice to say, I'm going to I'm going to give of myself. This is going to cost me something. It's going to cost me my time to serve the church so that anyone who comes to this place might experience the hospitality of God. I'm gonna ask you to take that and put it in one of the Home Depot buckets on the way out today and say, God, I am going to say yes to serving you. But you need to know that when you leave one of our campuses or if you're watching online, you could do all this online as well. But when you leave this service today, wherever it is you take you, that is not the end, but that is just the beginning of your mission. because God calls us to serve the world with our life. It's not one moment, it's every moment. Fully giving ourselves to the ministry of Jesus, the one who has loved us and just expressing that love to others. Don't compartmentalize your faith or your response to faith, but let your faith be the very corner, cornerstone and the lens by which you see the rest of the world in every aspect of your life. Let it permeate and be the thread that intertwines everything that you do. Thought it might be kind of fun to wrap the message today just by sharing some ways that I've gotten to see this play out. People have taken it seriously on what it means to love God, love people and serve the world. It's a beautiful thing, it's an inspiring thing. It's like, it's like my friend, Jenny, who said, I wanna let the, the, the Lord shine through me. And she, about nine months ago, she started to say like, I'm not sure I'm living in the sweet spot, the spot God wants me to give all of myself to. And I encouraged her in that moment, well, just pray. All right, just take some time and pray. And while you're doing the job you're doing, give yourself fully to it. Don't back down, serve God well in that moment and trust in the Lord's timing and, and she did. Fast forward nine months later, an opportunity opens that fits her gifting perfectly and she changes her career a little bit to go and give of herself in some new way. But while she was in the old role, she gave herself fully to it. I think about my buddy, Mark, who I've hung out with a bunch. He's like a jack of all trades. You name it, he can do it. And I'll be with him. Somebody will call him, Hey man, my pipes, uh, something's going on. I got some water all over my house and he'll look at me and say, bro, I got to go. And he'll go to help even when it's inconvenient. I think about my buddy Skip. Skip's a guy who's just been a great ally for me, someone who I can talk to. And if I call Skip right now, he will drop whatever he's doing to come and hear what's going on in my life and care about me and hold me up and carry my burden. I think about Rick who left the corporate world to go work at a nonprofit, taking a major pay cut, but feeling like that's where God wanted him to be so he could best leverage his life to serve the Lord. Think about our students at CIY who heard the story of Ruby who sacrificed her birthday and her Christmas to raise money to build a house for a widow with three kids in Nicaragua. I think about Justin who had invested quite a bit in school and was on a path towards an education and a career, but felt the Lord prompting him to switch that career, to invest his life into counseling and helping others with the mental health crisis that's so rampant through our entire world. And now he's about to graduate and will be living a life doing that. I think about Phil, who's gonna sacrifice a few hours every single week this spring to lead a rowdy bunch of middle school boys, one of which will be my son. Just last week, we had a first-time guest in our new here spot, our Mountain Road campus. And I, I was talking to a the, the lady, she had her daughter with her. It was a really lovely conversation. All of a sudden, the, the, this other mountain gal comes running over and she grabs this paper out of her hand. I was like, well, that's rude, all right? And she takes it, she starts writing on it. She hands it back to her. She said, here's, the, here's my phone number. You need anything at all. You need to know this is a community that wants to serve you and we're here for you. I think about Emma, who's in our student ministry, who found out that there was a single mom in need who couldn't pay the bills. So she pulled her small group together and said, y'all, we need to get some money and help this lady out. And then somebody said, well, whatever you guys can do, we'll match it, and they did. And she takes this envelope of cash to the single mom and says, hey, this is something we wanna do just to bless you and love you and care about you the same day that her power was about to be turned out. She broke down in tears and embraced her with a hug. Think about Mike, who owned an auto collision business. I walked in there with my car that had a big scratch on it. And he said, let me walk you through how this works, okay? And he started pointing at these posters that walk people through the gospel. He said, car restoration is just like the gospel, taking something that was broken and making it new and then sending it out. I think about Coretta, who works at Home Depot. I go to Home Depot a lot. When I walk into Home Depot, there's Coretta, she works at customer service right there on the left. Whenever I come in, hey pastor. Hey Coretta, how are you? I'm good, I'm just worshiping God and serving people. It's not one bucket, it's your entire life lived in a way that says, I'm going to love God, love people and the overflow of that is going to be a radical servanthood of those around us. It's living a life that carries a posture of asking what the love of God requires me to do in every aspect of my journey. For those in Christ serving the world, it's not a one-off project, no, it is our purpose and it's how we most fully praise God. It's us living for Jesus in a way that people might just accuse you of it. Y'all, that's what the good life looks like. Lean into it. And when you look at your one life, ask God how he best wants to use you. How can you serve the world? Let's pray. God, we come before you now. God, grateful for Jesus and the example he gives to us. And God, we examine the story that you share in Luke chapter 10. And then at the end of that story, God, you look back at the lawyer and you say, which one of those men was the neighbor? And he can't help but say it was the one who showed pity, the one who had compassion. It was the Samaritan man. And Jesus, your response to him is, Go and do the same, live like that. And so God, as this message falls on our ears, may we hear those words from you right now that each of us should go and do the same, looking for every single opportunity, God, to show your love by serving this world. God, use us, leverage us. And God, help us to know that we've got one life to live and we need to live it well. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your love for us. Amen.